When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before this episode of the Final Word Podcast, another quick update from our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. We are grateful for Brick Lane support through the weekly episode, Storytime. Did you hear Daniel Norcross's wild 904 triumph? Are you kidding me? Start with Storytime 59 and then follow it up with Storytime 60. Totally worth it. And also, the daily episodes. Adam and Jeff have been super busy. You can find all of those, the daily episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch them on the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel. There are currently 23,000 subscribers. We'd love to get that to 25,000. So if you are not a subscriber to the Final Word Cricket Podcast YouTube channel, please stop by, check it out, and if you like it, subscribe, and then you'll never miss a video. In cricket, there are great partnerships. Podcasting is no different. It's the partnership between the show, Adam and Jeff, the sponsor, Brick Lane Brewing, and you, the listener. I'd use your name, but I don't know who you are. But thank you. In addition to subscribing to the YouTube channel, please check out Brick Lane Brewing on Instagram and Facebook. Say hello and tell them the final word sent you. You can order all your Brick Lane favorites at bricklanebrewing.com. It's a super easy way to get your hands on all of the various brews. Brick Lane Brewing, based and brewed in Melbourne, Australia. Great city, great beer. Thank you, Brick Lane Brewing, for being part of The Final Word. And as always, thank you for listening. That's enough from me. Now, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and The Final Word. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is The Final Word weekly program. The Cricket Podcast with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. It is coming to you from Hobart. Uh, on the show today, we are going to have a chat to Harsha Bogley about Virat Kohli resigning as India's test captain, uh, what it means, what happens from here, what the legacy was, all of all of those things that Harsh has been watching very closely over the, the full career of the young man from Delhi. Um, uh, in, the, in the more immediate term, the ashes have finished. You can probably tell from our sort of croaky voices and sleepy demeanour that it's been a pretty wild ride from start to finish. But we're here. We made it, Adam, to the other end. Um, didn't miss any test matches in isolation or, mm. or lock-up somehow. Um, many people did. And uh, I think we feel quite fortunate that the whole thing actually finished, regardless of what happened on the field. Yeah, Pleased it happened, glad it's over, and that's not sort of to be uh, taking what we do for granted, just a reflection on the fact that it was pretty tough to get through without getting wrapped up in a in a COVID case, but getting COVID or being close contacted out of a test or something like that. So yeah, pleased we got to the finish line, proud of the work we were able to do through the podcasts and 
on broadcast and writing and everything else. So it's, it's a nice, uh, satisfied feeling at the moment. My last day in Australia as well. I fly out to the UK tomorrow morning, so it's the last time we'll be recording together for a number of months. I don't quite know when we'll be in the same place again. Oh no, I do oh, know. We'll be in Pakistan in, in five or six yeah. weeks, so we'll, yeah. we'll be won't be too long doing them via Zoom, postal service style. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I jump. I'm looking forward to um, that moment when I take off tomorrow from Sydney it'll be and I have no access to my phone for 24 hours yep. I find that quite liberating mm-hmm. a couple of rom-coms bottle of wine bit of a cry go to sleep mm-hmm. that'll be my that'll be yeah. my method I'm pretty sure it has worked nicely in the past well it should be day five shouldn't it I mean it seems crazy we've done this a few times recorded podcast two days after a, a test is over and we're like mm-hmm. wow if this test went the journey we would still be at work, still be at work and but having it feels, to do this show tomorrow yeah somehow. it feels like that this this um yeah that's right we would have somehow had to have squeezed it in at the airport or something but um the very fact that it, it feels like a lot has happened in the two days since the test concluded and the series concluded and that's probably not a bad place to start really because with England in disarray on the field mm. predictably enough we're now getting well briefed uh, through lots of excellent reporters mm. with the England team as to what happened behind the scenes and it's not great it's, it's not great at all <laughs> um, I w- before we go on to that I'll just quickly say if you had tickets for the Melbourne live show that we cancelled those you, will get refunded you should have been sent an email if you haven't you can send us an email if you didn't get it that's coming we just haven't had time to do admin and so there's quite a few messages and so on that uh, that need to be tended to we haven't forgotten about you we've just had the ashes and yeah. we did see a number of, I should say while we're talking about the show uh, we saw a lot of people in Hobart who mm-hmm. listened to to the final word, both at Bell Reeve and at the pub last night, which was delightful. Thank you to all of those who showed up at short notice and yeah. found us and, and wanted to tell a few stories and hear a few stories. And in the end, it ended up uh, as the night got deeper and deeper, where all the England team were out with us and and all the touring <laughs> journos and so on. So um, yeah, hopefully uh, those who swung by for a beer enjoyed their stay. So in terms of what's going on with the camp, I I thought this would be blood in the water time. You know, the couple of days after the series, Chris Silverwood, the coach, spoke yesterday and said, uh, I believe the phrasing was, I understand that my position is under pressure. But he's trying to hang on. Joe Root's backing him to hang on. Joe Root's hanging on. I mean, Root sort of has to as captain, as we've said, because no one else is there to do the job. But it's a little curious at this point that mm. um, I suppose they don't want to seem knee-jerk and, uh, and impulsive by moving on anybody before the scheduled actual end of the series has passed. But yeah. I suppose there's a cynical way of interpreting this that, that Silverwood knows he's going to have to walk the plank, but he needs to be pushed in order to get the severance payout. If he falls on his sword, mm. then the probability of him getting quite the same payout might be limited. That usually is the way it works. You want okay. to be sacked in a situation like this. You don't want right. to resign. Because um, if you resign, everyone knows that you were sacked, but you don't get the benefit of being But you don't necessarily get the benefit of having your contract paid out. I might be wrong. That's just that's the, that's the extremely cynical way of interpreting this. And I suppose you could extend that to Tom Harrison, uh, who his bonus is due in March. Again, has been put to me that, well, if he's uh, able to bank that check in March for uh, for services rendered back in uh, getting 100 off the ground and getting the uh, COVID season of 2020. It feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? The COVID summer of 2020 that was achieved through bubbles and yet we're in 2022 and it's still very much, part of, uh, very, very much part of what we do. But, you know, Harrison being recognised for, for that stretch of work, how long he holds on or stays on after that bit is done. I don't imagine he'd go before the bonus in March, put it that way. So, mm. And then Joe Root, I think we touched on this on the Daily Show after the final day at Bell Reeve. 
I would like him taken out of the firing line. I think it would actually be cruel to let him continue captaining this team right now. Mm. I know there's, that they are bereft when it comes to other options. I don't think Ben Stokes is a realistic option right now. He might be a, an inspirational on-field leader, but I don't... Yeah, I, th- I think that's a bad fit right now. But unless they're going to 1980s like rotate captains by the match, just depending on who gets picked. Like, yeah, how, well, how do you do it? You I do think there is a way. If it were me, and again, you know, it's easy for us from the outside looking in. If it were me, I would just simply say I would be upfront with the with the England cricketing community and say, look, we are in a bad way. Everybody knows we're in a bad way. We need mm. to rebuild, and we're going to turn to our elder statesmen to help us with that rebuild. Their last act of service to England cricket in Broad and Anderson will be stewarding the team through this transition phase while we could act together uh, over the next however many months. And if that extends to the Windies tour and the seven tests in in England, so 10 tests effectively. Mm. So we're going to give ourselves 10 test matches to take a beat, get our act together and work out who's going to lead the team after. And you kind of say to Joe, if you want to be the test captain again in a couple of years, like, all right, if you want to be eligible to, to lead again, we're not saying it, the door shut forever. We're simply saying it. He turned 31 last week, didn't he? At age 31, you've got lots of cricket ahead of you, but we're going to give you a year at least out of the firing line, not constant media interviews, constant broader commitments. It's like, you know, as we mm. know, uh, test captains often say their second job that is leading, it becomes more consuming than their first job batting. Right. So I, yeah, I do wonder whether there might be a cute solution there involving Broad and Anderson uh, in the service of their country at the very, very end of their career. They like probably won't go that way. Back and forth between each other. Well, I think you'd make Broad the captain and you would say, um, you'd make Broad the captain, but Broad wouldn't play every test predictably because of the way yeah. they rotate him. So it might be that if Broad isn't captaining, Jimmy being vice captain, in that scenario, he would lead when Broad wasn't playing. I know it's not perfect, it's not elegant, but it might just be a creative way to get through this next phase when there is legitimately not a single person in the England top seven who could lead that team at the moment, with the exception of Root, and he's who you want to protect long term. Yeah, there are literally two players who are sure of a spot. And that's Root and Stokes. Root and Stokes. So, yeah. what do you do? Although, as we as we touched on, it was a joke at the time. But if it did come true, like they would literally burn all their DRS reviews in three overs. Broadest <laughs> captain. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. The thing with the thing with Stokes, just to pad that out a bit, I definitely see the case for Stokes because of the on-field. Like what he, you know, the way he plays the game. It's such yeah. a, it's always addictive, isn't it? He, he, well, we're going to talk about Virat Kohli later, but Stokes has that aura about him. You have to watch him. He's a compelling figure and the players clearly love him. But I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, he was sharing Jordan Peterson stuff from the Joe Rogan show on his Instagram stories. I mean, you get away with that when you're a member of the ranks. You don't get away with it when you're captain. Right. When you're captain, the standard you are held to for everything else okay. is higher. And we know that. Should it be that way? I don't know. I'm not going to be the arbiter on that. Are you? Yes, you are. He will do loose shit like that because that's just who he is. And yeah. that will infect his leadership of the test team and it won't. And there'll be a, a, right. a misalignment there. It is really curious how, you know, athletes who are not super highly educated get taken in by this kind of psychobabble that's pretending to be academic or pretending to be for highly educated people I, I i would have just thought it would pass them by but i oh, know i'm definitely really um convinced by the guy who nearly killed himself eating nothing but beef for nine months and then ended up addicted to benzos in a russian rehab board yeah jordan peterson what what an, what an intellectual light i'm gonna follow that man's ideas yeah and i don't want to i don't want to appear snobbish and say that people can't do their own thing but i'm just i'm i suppose i'm observing the the pr side of that like how would the broader population 
take that kind of thing in if if, uh, mm. if Stokes was leading the team is all. Like, you know, you can do what you want. I'm not going to tell people how to think, but that's not what I mean by my first comment. It's simply that as captain, I mean, per the Tim Payne saga late last year, everything you do is you through a different prism to when you're a member of the ranks. So again, and to an extent, allow Stokes to be that, that, that dynamic, enigmatic figure that he is anyway, and let them find who the next test captain is. It might take some time, but I think that right now they, they actually probably weirdly have time on their side because expectations are so low and they're a rabble. Per mm. the piece, I mean, there's been some great pieces. Nick Holt wrote the, the major expose. Will McPherson had a cracker as well on the Evening Standard, but Holt's right. piece, I mean, it's kind of from start to end, from how cooked the trip was off the top with respect to them bubbling in different groups obviously the World yep. T20 played a role in that you know, excruciating detail around how the players there was like a revolt around PCR testing with families and that they really kicked off with management around that right. through to the tour game which we didn't really know just how badly run that was but they didn't even have a scoreboard at one stage for that which <laughs> again it's a bit of an emblem for how all over the place it was into the Ollie Robinson fitness saga which has become a big part of the conversation I suppose in, in the last couple of weeks one player who isn't named refused to have skin fold tests taken and didn't have to in the end can we guess who that is well we, I mean may, maybe we can maybe we can't though I mean I I don't, I don't want to say it's Robinson, but of course there's been that. And that player who wasn't named said he was fat shamed. And you can't skin fold test me, I'm, I'm being fat shamed. So there's quite a bit going on there at a deeper level. The fact that the Lions team didn't use players outside of the Test 11 in Queensland and then they show up and, you know, Michael Nisa, Usman Khawaja and Scott Boland are playing, who of course all go on to have an influence in the, in the Test series and yeah. England missed the trick there. The trust that broke down between the players and the peripheral staff around drinking and their, you know, the suggestion that was a pretty boozy tour behind the scenes and, you know, this all fed into this broader mess. Right. And now that it's over, they're happy to sort of chat about this and it does suggest a lack of leadership doesn't it that you know that's where Silverwood I think will really wear scrutiny if, if the wheels were falling off mm. and he couldn't and he couldn't arrest that decline through the tour then who could if your if your coach's job if your role rather as coach is not to yeah. keep things on the straight and narrow then what is it and if you're basically fundamentally from the way things get described a nice bloke who's not too effective at you know, wielding the whip when required, then again, what are you there for? Yeah, and it's that it's that, it's that balance, isn't it? We 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 talked, well, we have talked a little bit about Justin Langer. We might in, again in a sec actually around his coaching philosophies. And Mal Con wrote a big piece in the uh, in the City Morning Herald this week about Langer's. Uh, the the advice he took from Alex Ferguson when he was in England in 2019 about being a very firm coach with the players mm. and that that's not appropriate for a cricket team. Well, maybe right. with Silverwood, it's too much in the other way. Again, hard to know without being there, but we're getting yeah. this detail now. But, but maybe you need, also need to be adaptable. Like probably different situations require different things. And yeah, you that's right. have the same approach. And maybe they don't. You know, we're not in there. We're not seeing it happen. But it, it's just trying to read that from the outside. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the Langer part, I think, as you mentioned on the Daily the other day he's been part of the selection group that's made really good calls you know not just through this series but through the t20 world cup they've been vindicated on their their team selections their sort of way they've set up those teams the t20 team and the test team and so that's something that that he should get credit for it could Um, be enough to save him you know i mean josh hazelwood after the t20 win Hmm. said that they basically coached themselves or something. He made some comments to the effect that Langer was in the back seat far more and, and, and the players were able to drive that 
that World Cup, that unexpected World Cup win. Presumably that's translated through to what they've had over the last couple of months through the ashes. But Trevor Bayliss looms large, doesn't he? That yeah. All these stories keep uh, coming to the surface around Bayliss's relationship with Cummins from when he was mm. you know, back as a kid at Penrith and the New South Wales connection with the senior players, Smith, Kawaja, yeah. Warner, and then Stark and others. They just know and, and, and relish the, the Bayliss. I mean, even and when Bayliss took over as England coach, I remember yeah. we interviewed in the West Indies, I reckon it was Steve Smith, and you know who, who who had been his first state coach, and he could not have been more lavish in his praise of Bayless. So there's long-standing links to this guy, and also Bayless saying the only job, international job, I would consider was the Aussie job. Yeah, so. and I remember Bayless. I asked him once years ago about how tough the England job was and he goes yeah the problem is I never get to spend any time in Australia in my own mm. bed which he wasn't living in Australia but like the idea of um, being able to be at home will be attractive for him rather than taking on another international gig where he'll be in the same situation away from Australia as often as that job demands so yeah. but generally speaking they've had the time of their lives the last day the Aussies they, they were at Mona yesterday yeah um, good old time Pat Cummins um, just just cruising into just to, to test captaincy, 4 0 and wrapping it up. Didn't look uh, good, Mona. I thought Mona was a great look. They went in their civvies, not their polo shirts. Okay. They just looked like normal human beings. Yeah. And Cummins looks like a god walking in, you know, jumper over the shoulder type sure, thing. Yeah. But, uh, country road catalogue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, he looks, I mean, delightful as he always does. But um, they looked like kind of grown ups, like yeah. a n- nice bunch of blokes off to do something like nourishing and wholesome. It might mm-hmm. not be what they would do. All of them would do if necessarily yeah. they're on their own, but as a group, they're like, no, no, this is a good thing to do. Support Tassie Tourism along I'd the way. I'd like to read their reviews. You'd get each of them to write a review of the museum. Of the, know, uh, the fat Ferrari or the vagina yeah, wall yeah, or yeah. The, uh, suicide, uh, mm. the uh, suicide machine or the poo machine yeah. or whatever it is. Whatever stood out to them. Maybe they were really into Sydney Nolan's Rainbow Serpent. Yes, I don't know. Yes. You know, that, that's, that's, that's a standout. <laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd love to read. You know, a travel blog. See what see what they all made of, of of what they found in there. There could be a book in that, given they're going to be in these. Uh, you know, they're not going to be in uh, their home setting for the year. Someone should do a Steve War style diary about Pakistan, Sri Lanka, India. Maybe Usman should do it. The friends we made along the way. Yeah. Well, speaking of Usman, um, I know there was there was a big play made of the. Oh, look here! They they stopped spraying the champagne around to get him in the photo. I tend to go with our colleague Yasrana on this, which is to say that it seemed like an inordinate amount of praise for doing a fairly small um, and obvious thing. Like, you know, this has been done by sports teams before. We all know now that if you have Muslim players in the team, you probably shouldn't drench them in alcohol in the celebrations. So, I don't know. it It didn't seem like something that deserved the kind of ticker tape parade that it got. I fell into the camp of both things can be true. Mm. Uh, I reckon not that you know they should be you know given the order of Australia for it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but it did. No, it, no, much it, worse. People get given the order of Australia <laughs> for far more destructive things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's her name again? Uh, Benita Arndt. Yeah, Bettina Arndt. Bettina Arndt. Yeah, I'm sure that yeah. you know. I wonder what she thought of that. Anyway, uh, the um, <laughs> but Kawaja sort of I saw, I saw him jump off the stage in kind yeah. of the same way we've seen with Mo and Ali and Adel yeah, yeah. with England team shots quite a bit in the last couple of years but I gather indeed talking to Gordon one of our um, final word listeners who was there last night it was actually Langer who got the bottles and moved them out of the way he was the one who was attuned to what was going on mm. and then Cummins brought Kawaja in for the proper official team photo with the, the replica yeah. and trophy whatever they call it so I reckon fair play to the leadership being attuned to it because I can imagine if it were me and I was Pat Cummins and I was having that moment I might not quite twig yeah. so the fact that he was mindful of it deserves credit but also what Yaz says is true too that we shouldn't get carried 
away. This should be standard practice. It shouldn't. Mm. And maybe it, it, it reflects the fact that, that we're now thinking about it more. And yeah. thus, because I, I doubt there'd be a lot of people who would necessarily be across that being the practice we say the England team right. in Australia. So that might have been why it was highlighted so much. Maybe also the end of match celebrations don't need to involve people spraying boots over each other like it's Formula One, you know. Maybe isn't, there a, isn't there a form of um, non-alcoholic champagne they're using? In, I think I've, I think they're oh, doing really? it in football teams now. Yeah, okay. To, to get around the yeah. photos of them. Yeah, although it's still about the, the perception of it, isn't it? Like someone sure, seeing the yeah. photo doesn't know that it's non-alcoholic. No, right, yeah. Therefore, yeah. It's, it's potentially still making someone look like they've been put in this position. I don't know. I, I find it uncomfortable, this sort of thing of, oh, you wait over there while we do this thing that you can't be a part of and yeah. then we'll let you come back. You know, that feels a bit condescending. Yeah, um, yeah. Again, I sort of see both sides of this one. I don't think it's a, a one for hard, strong views, but um, I, I do think that... Only Cummins, hard, strong views <laughs> in the final word. It's a disgrace or it's a Or triumph. it's fucking brilliant. No, I, I, I do think, though, that a combination of that mm. and Mona, I mean, Cummins... Looks good. And even um, there was a small, tiny little thing that was on Instagram yesterday. It got tweeted into my feed. Usman Khawaja put up a, an Instagram video of them singing True Blue in, oh. I don't know which pub it was, but uh, it was Customs <laughs> House where they were yesterday. It wasn't really them leading it. It was kind no. of like it was on the PA. Yeah, yeah. Lots of fans around. The Barmy Army were there. Yeah, they were yeah. having fun. They are doing their thing, right? Sure. And they're all singing True Blue. And Dad? Is, is it a, a cockatoo? cockatoo? Um, and then uh, there was the, everyone starts yelling at Nathan Lyon, Gary, do the team song. Gary, do the team song. And then Lyon kind of goes over and asks Cummins, he goes, should I do the team song? And Cummins goes, just kind of does the, no, nah, no, nah, cut it out, mate. Don't do the team song. It's like, nah, mate, no, nah, don't do that. It was, I mean, I can, it just looked really good. Like, you know, Cummins sort of sitting up there on the bench being one, one removed, but mm. um, it, it, offering good advice to his uh, teammate that it would have looked a bit naff going from true blue into um, underneath the Southern Cross yeah. I stand yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah I think Cummins is I mean to think that I've said this on the Daily Show to think there were people out there like actual who people who didn't it. think he'd be uh, he, he, he had the right um, being a fast bowler that yep. it wouldn't work yep. I mean goodness me have you ever seen a guy who's better suited to leadership I don't think so in <laughs> cricket I mean he might turn out in 10 years time we might have a different view after his career's over but on the evidence of what we've seen so far he looks temperamentally perfect for the job uh, and tactically sound enough that he has a long a long career in this in this captaincy business in, in the same way that Coley did as long as Joe Rogan doesn't get his hooks into him no, I, 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 I just got a feeling that Pat might um, shoulder arms with that kind of nonsense <laughs> um, the women's ashes is about to start on Thursday this mm. week starting with the three T20s that have been moved forward um, England some of the England staff have COVID and haven't been able to go to Adelaide to play several of the Australia A players can't make it because of COVID or close contacts as well. Elise Perry had COVID or seemed to have already passed through it mostly by the time she arrived at training and then still recorded a like the tail end of a positive test. Yep. But she's apparently going to be okay. She'll be cleared in time to play, but not in time to do any pre-series training or anything. She won't be able to join in with, with what the other players are doing, but she will be fit. This will be interesting. Elise Perry going to play in the T20s? Yeah, where? Where's she batting? What about when she doesn't? Hmm. There's just a bit of a whisper. 
doing yeah. the rounds that she's not going to play in the T20s okay. and she may not be chuffed about it. Okay. Bit of a whisper doing the rounds. Okay. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to dig too deeply into this because sure. it's hard to write or talk critically of the Australian women's team. You get yelled at when you do that. But it'll be interesting to see whether she plays in the T20s. Yeah. And I mean, like, for example, will we see her do any of the, I haven't really noticed, detected her doing any of the pre-series promotion stuff that you normally see from at least no. Perry in the lead up. So that's all kind of interesting to she's me. She's on, on all of the bank ads um, and posters yeah. and so on, but, yeah. but nothing live, but I suppose that's COVID related as well. But I wonder, because, and this is really shit news, Beth Mooney's broken her jaw, batting in the nets, got hit by the the sidearm. The wanger. um, The wanger. um, And and cracked, she's fractured her jaw. So she's definitely out for the Ashes. She's probably out for the World Cup if we're realistic. Um, That's about six weeks ago. Because think of it like... To break your jaw these days, it got up under the grill. Yeah, is how it happened. So sh- no, I, no, I know that, but like that's quite a difficult. Mm. I mean, it's kind of why you don't see people break their jaws too often. Back before helmets, it was quite common. But a slightly smaller ball for the women's. You know, it's yeah. only a couple of millimeters True. smaller in in diameter, but that might make a difference. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm guessing she was probably working on short ball stuff. And, Hit on the wrong angle. Um, yeah, just sort of maybe head tilted back a bit, yeah. and it came up under under a jaw and missed the grill and cracked her. You know, so she's got a, a, a fracture rather than a full displacement right. break. So it's not as bad as it might be. So she maybe she could get back for the World Cup with six weeks, but she'll miss the Ashes. Maybe that throws Perry a lifeline. Mooney out yeah. at the top of the order. I mean, Perry's only really good spot in T twenties is opening, and that's where yeah. that's where she's the most useful. Good point. With the bat. I hadn't considered that. I mean, they were talking about the likelihood that they'll put Rachel Haynes up because she opens in the 50-over stuff already. But that's very different, and she's a slow starter. And so if you're worried about a slow starter, you can afford to have Perry, who's, who doesn't you know, scream out of the blocks, but she does hit boundaries during the power play. She's mm. got that you know, more classic technique. She can go over the top of cover and that sort of thing. So maybe that is a lifeline. Perry in the middle order wasn't working. They had her in the middle for the T20s against India a few months ago, and she was nowhere. You know, couldn't She was coming out in the 15th over, and she's, she's just not built for that. She can't accelerate. Yeah, that and, that, and that's a good thing for Australian cricket. Like, if Elise Perry has been overtaken in T20s, that's mm. a good thing. Yeah. That's not a, you know, I know the marketing department may not quite agree with that, given how important she has been over well over a decade now in the promotion of the women's game, the enormous footprint she's left. But if the domestic competition is bringing through the next generation in such a way that at age 31 or 32 or whatever she is now, that she's not in the top six T20 players in the country, mm. that's a great thing. Uh, yeah. We should we should relish that. So, fair but point. they're also missing sort of slogging firepower down the order because Georgia Wareham's out, Sophie yes. Mullen is out, and they're two who you can rely on to come in and give it a tonk. I reckon the fact that Haynes is back though, having missed the India series, that, that would be if they're trying to shuffle the pack. She's shown that she's got that extra gear she can go to. She's been exceptional uh, in Australian colours yeah. over the last four or five years. So. She can at least hit big leg side. Yes, she can. you need a lot in women's cricket. What do they call her? Desi, Desmond Haynes. Desmond Haynes. Uh, um, for the fact that she can give it a mighty whack. Yes. So, mm, be interesting to see how that pans out. The absolute absurdity, and, and let's just call this for what it is, absolute bullshit that Amanda Wellington is not apparently not good enough to play in the Australian team. When Wareham's out... Molyneux out. out, the left armour who turns it away in the same yep. direction. Um, Molly Strano is in the A-team but isn't playing because yep. she had a COVID thing. So Wellington's in the A-team, but, I mean, she's been 
replaced, well, not not replaced, as it so Wareham was injured. They needed another leg spinner. Wellington was the top wicket taker in the WBBL last year. Had a match best of five for eight. Took a wicket every 14 balls or something, conceding about 15 runs a, a wicket to 20 plus across the season. Um, and they've gone with Alana King, who's, you know, a decent leggy and she can tonk the ball a bit. She's a good player. I enjoy watching her play, but her numbers versus Wellington's year on year on year on year, going back, 50 over, 20 over, whatever, nowhere near, nowhere near. She's not not the equal as a player and it is bizarre that they've done this. And, and not just done this, but picked her as the one league spinner for the whole thing. Mm. Tests, 50 over, 20 over. They're not all the same. You know, newsflash, formats are not the same. And particularly in a test match, you need a player who can take wickets who will create chances. And that's what a leg spinner who rips it will do versus one who slides it through. Yeah, I wonder I wonder how much scrutiny this would have had if it were the men's team as to why trying to unpick this. Maybe they've made a decision that they've seen enough from Wellington and she's not good she's enough. She's 24. I know. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not saying. Yeah. You know, I'm not yeah, saying. Yeah. But I mean, she, she was the. She was. But maybe this. Maybe. I mean, I'm trying to think of the alternative view. The World Cup's coming up in three months or whatever it is, two months, and they have seen what Wellington can do, and they're happy to make a decision on Wellington because Wareham's not playing, of course. Make a decision out of Wellington and King based on how King goes against England. I mean, that, that'd and be how in, Wellington goes in the A stuff. More that they know what Wellington can do on the yeah. big stage. They kind of do a, a selection based on that. I mean, Wellington, plenty of experience at international level now. Hasn't played since 2018. Hasn't played since 2018, which I mean, she seems was bizarre to me. She was, she was a kid coming when, through. When she had her first run. Yeah, she was, wasn't she? You know, probably one of the first stars of the WBBL as well. You go yeah. back to 15, 16, it was her and Beth Mooney yeah. who we were talking about a moment ago who made such an impression early on. I remember Adam Gilchrist and, and Shane Grace Warren. And, and uh, Grace Harris, too, but yeah. she was already in the Australian team. The point yeah. I'm making is that th- those who kind of came from yeah, outside yeah. of the national setup at the time. Um, yeah, remember those, uh, those, those, well, we were, White Line Wireless days, commentating games off the telly where, yeah. you know, we were just in awe of what she was able to do as a mm-hmm. teenager, as were commentators like Gilchrist and Warren and others yeah. who are like, this is a serious, you know, watch this space, she could be mm-hmm. anything kind of thing. And now five, six years on from that, hasn't played international cricket for four years and in his out of the, the... I mean, yeah, as I say, I wonder I wonder if this were the men's team, mm-hmm. and, and, and I count myself as partly to blame for this. Like, I cover women's cricket, obviously, but we've been so bloody busy with everything that's going on in the men's ashes and I'm flying home tomorrow. I just don't have the, I suppose, the, I haven't had the scope to do the journalism on this, but I hope that someone does and gets to the bottom of this properly because it deserves mm-hmm. to be, because she's a quality cricketer who, yeah, I mean, maybe she doesn't, and again, I'm speculating here, maybe she doesn't fit into the same mould as a number of others who, who get picked to play for Australia when it comes to cohesiveness in the dressing room. I wouldn't have a clue, but maybe that's it I'm not sure that that was put to me in the past that she's not quite cut the same way as a number of the more established players yeah um, and and you know and and like any dressing room that that is a part of the conversation when it's a line ball call but it do, I, I couldn't but, but believe this it. isn't a line ball call and it's impossible to believe that there is anything but off field, there has to be some off field thing behind this. Well, that's kind of what I mean you by can't make the that's kind of what I mean by I, I'd love. Yeah, that's kind of I'd love someone to go away and find that out yep. uh, and do the journalism on it. And look, yes, yeah, I say maybe it should be us, but in all probability, it won't be me. Uh, but go away and try and work out what's going on here because it does feel like a 
a resource that's being badly misused and mishandled uh, at this sort yeah. of crucial stage of her career, right? By the age of 24, this is when wrist spinners tend to start getting really good. Mm. Um, so a bit of a watch this space. And she can give it a whack too, by the way. Oh, I remember yeah. she's, she's... She's made 50s in the Big Bash. Made 50s in the Big Bash. Uh, she, didn't she make the quickest club 100 ever a couple of years mm. ago for Port Adelaide, if I recall correctly? Yep. So yeah, there is a, you know, there's that, if they're looking for a lower order slapper, um, she can play that dual role too. Mm. Yeah, I think if you've got that level of talent at your disposal and you don't use it, that's a, that's a squandering. England, their preparation, not great. This was the um, the quote from the captain, Heather Knight. We've had mums feeding bowling machines, boyfriends and girlfriends slinging. Um, I presume she doesn't mean product on the street. To <laughs> uh, dad's batting and any family member or household supporting our training. Uh, it's been pretty comical and not ideal preparation for a series of this magnitude, but it's been completely unavoidable. So, yeah, quarantine for them, isolation for them, coming out over here, they've played a couple of sort of warm-up T20s and then it's supposed to be straight to the ashes, go-go. Yeah, the good thing is they didn't need to do Hotel Q over here like the men did, but it feels like a similar trajectory as far as playing sod all cricket. We discussed on the show last week why they had to move the women's ashes forward a week, um, which didn't help the situation. They've played a couple of intra-squad T20s against the England A team who are out here at the moment. You know, Sibber and Knight in the runs, as you'd expect. Alice Capsi as well, by the way, in mm. the runs from the uh, from the A team. Just a bit of a watch this space on that. If they want to bring a player from outside the squad into the main squad, I, I think she'd be sort of first cab off the rank. But yeah, uh, do you remember a tour recently with very little cricket? Uh, you know, challenging conditions with bubbles and, you know... A home team who's quite a bit better than the visiting team already. Yeah. It yeah. does bother me somewhat. Uh, I, I haven't read this piece yet, but Phil Walker has um, sat down with Heather Knight in Wisdom Cricket Monthly, and Heather's um, been quite forceful in how things went off the rails in 2019 mm. when they were over there, well, when Australia were over there and they won all by one game as the visiting team and, and describing how not enough of the England players at the time were willing to kind of step up as leaders within the group. They let yep. things drift a bit, and she doesn't want that to happen again. She wants to be a more forceful leader herself but also have more forceful leaders around her and they're going to need every ounce of that leadership against a very strong Australian team who've already played a series this summer. England haven't played since September. That was in home conditions. Mm. Uh, I know they played a series was in September as well. No, true enough, right you are. But still, they've been at home, whereas this travelling bubble, a group of 60-plus already had some COVID in that group inside the support staff. And the fact that they had to do that safe living over Christmas, New Year, Mm. so they've been at home effectively bubbling themselves away from from their loved ones in some instances. So none of that's particularly ideal, especially when Australia can go, right, well, we're going to bring back Haynes and Jonathan and shoot. And, you know, like they've just got so many options. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Darcy Brown. Darcy Taylor, Brown. Taylor Valamick, who have both got speed for days. They didn't need to pick Stella Campbell because they already had the other two for that pace. Despite so. the fact that Stella Campbell took a seven for a couple of weeks yeah. ago in a, in a state game. I mean, they are blessed yeah. with options. I hope it's a competitive series. I hope that England can get out of the blocks well in the T20s this week. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes the other way. All of that lies ahead. For now, let's play a game. Let's play a little bit of Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge. Very good. Thank you. Very Very nicely done. It's the game of nerds, the game we play with the lovely people on our Patreon page who fund this show. They make it happen. They send us contributions, uh, and those contributions are not normal round amounts of currency. They're very specific amounts because they relate Hmm. to cricket in some way. The first, no, the only one that we're doing on the show this week. The first and the Well, well the first we've done for a couple of weeks, yes. too, we should say. We're a little full, behind Yeah, on full this. disclosure, story time during the middle of an Ashes series. We probably should have realised and just 
been honest with you that we yeah. can't do it uh, when we're working the hours we're working at the moment. But as I said, I'm back in England and uh, by at least maybe, I don't think it's possible we're going to do it this weekend, but the weekend after we will definitely be back in the saddle. Yeah. Yeah, we that, will. That's my commitment to you. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yes. Maybe Outside not. chance we can do it this weekend. Yes, probably not given I'm on holiday. Okay. But let's let, let's agree that we're going to do it the following week. Yeah, we're going to do like a 36 number show the following yes, weekend. I'm, I'm to, relaxed to make about up that. Ground. Yeah. All right. It's Alexander Davis, this one, and it's $5.85. There's a clue, Adam. There is. It's Khan the Tigers, well, which to me would suggest that it's my first instinct would be that's a Bangladesh uh-huh. a Bangladesh reference oh, somewhere from Tigerland boom, yes. boom, boom, boom. in any weather you will see us with a grin risking, risking head, head and chin. chin that's a Bangladesh they don't know it's their song but it is their song um, I think we should I think we should make a big point mm-hmm. at the T20 World Cup when they're here later mm-hmm. this year you know historically there's been a, a, a kind of a, a lovely bit about cricketers going to football clubs now Virat Coley Yep. went to Richmond a okay. number of years ago and put right. on a Richmond jumper. Yep. A few Richmond Twitter types like to post that photo. Okay. We should get the Bangladesh team down the punt road. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we will make that happen. Get Mushrika just swimming in a in a size XL jersey <laughs> that reaches his ankles. So. A photo with Benny Gale. Yes, yeah, taking a specky on his back. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, so Khan the Tigers, 585. Well, it's, it's almost the 595 that Bangladesh made against Sri Lanka, I think, one of their, be- okay. their better innings, but it's not that. But this this is a match that you watched, Adam. Okay. Uh, Shakib Al Hassan. He made he made eighty four with the bat. Mm. He took five for sixty odd in the first innings. Mm. He set Australia a target. This mm. was in twenty seventeen. And what did he take in the fourth innings to bowl him out? Took another. Short? Took another five for. Oh, five took five for eighty five the second time. Yes, he did. He got Warner, Smith, Maxwell. Uh, ran through the Australian top order. Uh, that top order, yeah. That, 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 Hanscom I, was in there, maybe? Hanscom was in there, batted quite enterprisingly, if that's even a word, in that game. Uh, and, yeah, Maxwell was out just after lunch, and it was um, his second-last test match. Hopefully not his second-last forever, but they, um, yeah, he, he was bowled by Shakib just after yeah. lunch. I think he backed away to try and flame through the offside, if he I was, recall he correctly. He was LBW, Warner. Um, right. That was when... Warner made 100, didn't he? Uh, yes, he made 100. He described it. it was, that tests. was the test match where Warner was wearing a new baggy green because he'd lost oh, yeah. his baggy green and I got to the bottom of it what had happened and he, he'd left it in the uh, in the bag where his blazer yep. was if he were ever to be test captain and they had to go away and find it after the tour but I remember him making a hundred wearing this brand new baggy green it looked like a skull cap from the early 1900s not his you know the baggy green that's got <laughs> you know a hundred tests worth of beer in there yep all of the uh, all the stains and the tears mm. yes well Warner uh, Shakib got Warner for the hundred LB uh, he got Kawaja out for one, he got Steve Smith out. Uh, he got Wade and Maxwell out. So yep. a fairly handy five-wicket haul. Tajul Islam got the last wicket. Tajul Islam, he did. Bowled them out for 244, which was 20 runs shy, and that was in the first test. So and Bangla- Pat Cummins went bananas at the end, didn't he? I reckon if you look at the card... 33 not out. With maybe a couple of dingers in there. Three fours and two sixes. Yeah, and um, the press box was heaving at the end because the obviously the Bangladesh press, who I love, were quite invested in seeing them mm-hmm. win a game. There's like 200 of them in there, and that was the day the Prime Minister was there. She was in tears at the end. I mean, the whole thing yeah. was pretty epic and yeah. Cummins looking like he was going to pull it off at the steal end and, it. Knock, and steal it, yeah, uh, with that final wicket. St- I don't know who he was batting with, but that final wicket stand. He was batting with a lo- Hazelwood. Hazelwood. The last one out. Right, yeah, and then they get that final wicket and then all hell breaks loose. It was a very, very special day, actually. And Australia came back to win the next match mm. and Warner made another 100 uh, and they won a narrow one there to, to get out of it one all. Yeah, Nathan Lyon took, I think, like... Eight for? 
he, he he took a disgusting amount of wickets in two test matches. I think he finished with like twenty four or twenty five wickets in in two tests. It's wow. the most he's ever taken in a in a two test series. And Warner picked up two tons, including his twentieth in test cricket. He became he got to twenty test tons quicker than Viv Richards did. I remember mm-hmm. writing that article at the time. Like you know, if you're trying to measure Warner's greatness, look at mm-hmm. his tons. And we all think of Viv being the standard bearer. Well, he's dropped off a bit since then. I don't think Warner's made. Maybe he's made three more centuries since then in the last four or five years. Yeah, four. four I think he's up to one 24. At, one at the Gabba, one at Adelaide, one at Melbourne. I think that's about it. Mm. And, one, of course, a year off in the middle there, which wasn't planned. Yes, a little bit of a cheeky <laughs> yeah. year off. Um, oh, well. Oh, well. Um, what's There's an Underworld song called Two Months Off. It's a great, great tune. You should play it. Um, hit hit Spotify after this. No, don't. They'd give money to Joe Rogan. Uh, hit something else. Um, <laughs> and play Two Months Off and then times that by six and that was David Warner's year to get to the Caribbean Premier League and, 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 and company. So, Alexander Davis, I'm pretty sure that's your 585. Come nice. on, Tigers. Uh, and that was Nerd Pledge. If you want to play Nerd Pledge, you can. You can send us a number, patreon.com slash the final word. The benefits are you get to help us keep making the show. You get to be on the show. Uh, you get to have that warm feeling of enjoyment. And you also are a very good chance of winning a slab of Brick Lane, which Alexander Davis has done. Uh, the chance to give away a slab. Alexander could give it to himself if he lives in Australia. Or he could give it to someone who lives in Australia. If he doesn't, he could give it to someone who lives in Australia, even if he does live in Australia and doesn't want it. These are all options available to Alexander Davis, uh, the beautiful stuff from Brick Lane. And thank you to everybody who got involved in voting uh, in the Hottest 100. That voting closed, I think, a couple of days ago. Lots of people said they did the right thing. Uh, thank you for doing that, for getting behind the push. I think there were five Brick Lane beers up for grabs, or up for awards, and, and let's hope that they got the job done. I haven't yet got the offer code sorted for January. That's on my to-do list. We'll have uh, to sort it for February then. Yeah, let's make it a January, January. Let's make it a January-February code, <laughs> shall we? Uh, but again, thanks to Brick Lane for being fabulous supporters of what we do. I met last night uh, talking to Fran, who's one of our patrons and supporters, and she said that when she landed at the airport I'm not sure which airport but the first thing she did was went to a bottle shop to buy a slab of Brick Lane and that's the sort of loyalty we we're go. talking about there we go <laughs> uh, Nerd Pledge yeah get involved and uh, now we're at the break bit of the show and when we're back we'll be speaking to Harsha Bogley Hi I'm Ebony Rainford Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lynn. 2021 was an amazing year uh, for Woodstock Cricket, uh, who came first and second in the Good Gear Guide, and we are celebrating that early in 2022. Let's let the good times roll with Woodstock. Uh, There is a post. Mm -hmm. It's currently on social media, uh, as posts tend to be, on Instagram and Twitter. And if you play along with Woodstock and you share and you tag and all other things I'm going to tell you about in a moment, this particular post about their success in 2021, you have the chance to visit them in Cuckney in Knotts uh, for the full bat experience from start to end. They'll take you through. Um, they'll, they'll, they'll measure you. Yep. Um, get the tape measure <laughs> they'll get, out. They'll get the tape measure out. They'll measure you. Yep. They will weigh you, presumably. They might weigh your head, Cameron Bancroft they style, if put, you're really lucky. They'll put your head on the scale. Uh, they, they'll, they'll, they'll probably put those weird little sensors all over your body that they used to do, like motion capture for Gollum and stuff in, yes. in movies. They'll probably do that so you can watch your own skeleton dancing. I don't know. I haven't been... 
to have this done. But they'll do a very comprehensive process that works out exactly what sort of cricket bat you should be using. Yes. They interview you, they talk to you about your game, what formats you play, uh, what sort of style you play, where the middle should be, uh, what the weight should be, all of these things, and you will work out exactly what cricket bat is perfect for you. It's a beautiful, personal, tailored experience, and you could have that for free. All you need to do is tag three mates, like the post, share it to your story. So if you're using Twitter, you can retweet, but for Instagram, Facebook purposes, just share it to your story and follow Woodstock Cricket on Instagram. The draw uh, for this is on the 21st of January. So if you're hearing this on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, quickly get in and do as we say. We'll mm-hmm. put all of that in the show notes and, and the chance to uh, get a bat and the experience with Woodstock will be yours. Woodstockcricket.co.uk, the best bats in the world. Hi, I'm Dave Warner and you're listening to The Final Word. It's the final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, and thrilled to have, returning to the show, one of our all-time favourite guests. Hello, Harsha Bogley. How are you, Adam? How are you, Jeff? And how was the season that you just saw with one side playing against you don't know who? It was dreadful. It was dreadful. Uh, I think I would say we are better for seeing you and not talking about the Ashes much longer because it's been um, such a such a, a mismatch and I suppose a, a lot of the storylines coming out of it aren't the things we particularly like talking about. Uh, I know that you don't like necessarily... I followed it a bit. I, I, I watched it a bit. I followed it. I've got my thoughts on it, but we'll keep that for later. Yeah, we can keep that when we take the tape off. But um, the reason we wanted to talk to you today, of course, is because Virat Kohli is uh, handed in his captaincy armband once and for all for India, having done so at T20 level before the World Cup. Well, he signalled that the World Cup would be the end. Uh, slightly unexpectedly after Christmas with the one-day team and now the test team as well. I thought to start, if you could just explain that sequence, we thought that, or we were told that he'd be pulling the pin from the T20 team to focus his attention on the one day team and the test team how did it come to pass that within three months he's ended up giving up all three in quick succession well for, the, for a start you never say never in indian cricket or anywhere in the world so i'm not sure it'll be once and for all you never know at 35 36 he might still feel the urge he might be a different person i think he's already a different person from the person that you know you look at his instagram what his wife puts out i think he's more a man in love than a cricketer and, and and that's and that's nice in a, in a different sense, but I think there were murmurs that maybe Rohit Sharma is better suited to be the white ball captain, especially after five IPLs. RCB hasn't won another IPL. There was fear that if India didn't win the T20 World Cup, they might say, "Okay, what have you achieved under Virat Kohli?" And my gut feel was, and that's that that's not something I've checked out with people, that he thought he could go into damage control mode himself and preempt a decision. By saying, okay, I'll give up T20 and RCB so that I can keep what I want. And the reaction to that was interesting. The reaction to that was informally, excuse me, but you don't decide. And the moment someone said, excuse me, you don't decide, you knew the tide had turned, the power equation had, mm. had changed. I mean, through the period, 17, 18, 19, it was, it was literally Virat Kohli who was controlling Indian cricket. And being the alpha male that he was, the front runner always, it, it sort of tied in well with his personality. He had a coach who won't contest that. So all, all that all that was going along fine. I think there's two or three other reasons as well, other than the issues with the board. There's, there's a perception that him and the in, Indian cricket board are not on the same page. But that is really for journalists who know the intricate workings who, who follow that beat. I had felt two or three or four years ago that the intensity he brought to every moment that he played was just not human. It is not human to retain that intensity and still have that energy. I mean, I remember saying at that time, 
you'd never have a power shortage in india if you just connected uh, virat kohli to a power source his his energy would just light up a city but that energy cannot go on forever so my feeling is that somewhere he realized that his intensity might be dropping he's he's had a daughter and a family that he absolutely dotes on and he's not scoring runs he hasn't got 100 for two and a half years almost now so i think a combination of all these and he must have thought okay let me go back to being the batsman me virat kohli number 9 on the icc batting list doesn't sort of sit too well so do you think it's it's about the runs making the aura slip because for so long he rattled off hundreds at such a ridiculous rate nobody else scored like that nobody else could cross between formats like that and then over that last couple of years as that stretch got longer and longer was that a case of other people stopping being convinced by him as the the ultra dominant because he wasn't personally his his aura was about being the captain but not about being the massive run scorer what he did in 2016 to 2019 what he and steve smith were doing steve smith in test cricket but kohli across formats it was impossible to to maintain that standard and they were playing on a different planet both those uh, players uh, as i said smith in test cricket and kohli across formats then the run started to dry out as they do for everybody it's happened for lara it's happened for tendulkar it's happened for war it's happened to everybody that at some say the runs dry out but i think the perceptions changed and also i think not everyone bought into the alpha male come look at me will will go hard at the opposition kind of kind of style and it didn't help that india's middle order was was disintegrating both pujara and rahane were off and on uh the openers were were okay india suddenly became a sort of average batting side so maybe all that all all that all that came on and i think the fact that he wasn't producing results in white ball cricket just added to it that's my that's my personal view i'd long felt he shouldn't be captain of rcb anyway because though those two months would have let him be free just to bat and sort of rekindle the fires feel feel excited again just go and bat for two months that's what i felt for two or three years but i think the white ball thing led to it and now not winning in south africa he probably read the writing on the wall and said okay i'll jump for it i think that intensity you spoke about before i mean it was obviously on show at cape town last week with that uh, incident with the stumps which is sort of impossible to ignore in in all of this but i mean a guy who's just 33 years of age you'd expect that he he would be in the prime of his leadership but having captained 68 test matches and winning 40 of them and that aforementioned intensity i suppose there there is that argument about having reached the top of the global game taking india to number 1 being clearly the best team in the world from where it was to where it is even if they didn't win the world test championship final it's over that sustained run of time even the fact that he refused the 100th test match send off as captain it's as though um he knew that it had to be now and it couldn't be a moment longer and this is not a bad time for someone new to come in because india is playing a lot of cricket at home there's two test matches against uh, sri lanka i think there's four against australia at some point but because of covid that whole calendar has gone topsy turvy we don't know what exactly is going to happen so it it may not be a bad time to uh, to let someone else come in but i think it was more dictated by him not wanting to do it rather than creating room for somebody else look that 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 record is uh, i don't want to be seen to be poking holes into an outstanding record but the closer you look into that record there wasn't a win in south africa there wasn't a win in new zealand there was uh, a 4-1 defeat to england in 2018 this is the easiest time in the history of cricket to be number 1 Australia is in spite of the 4-0 ashes 
not the Australia that we have seen in the past. England are at the low. South Africa, probably the poorest since readmission. And I know that's a controversial statement to make. Their bowling side is excellent in those conditions. But this is not the side of Calis Amla, De Villiers, Faf, Graham Smith kind of side. So you would have thought that India had to beat South Africa in South Africa. That wasn't happening. And I think after Ravi Shastri left, I think I think Ravi was sort of his, his go-to person. I mean, Ravi didn't contest a lot of what uh, Virat Kohli was going to say. Rahul Dravid, very, very different kind of person, very sort of programmed, very process-driven. So maybe you thought, like it didn't work with Kumle, it might not happen with Dravid, but I don't know, I'm just thinking okay. aloud. The the narrative, if we dare to use that word, Harsha, around Kohli, I'm sure will be, he's the guy who changed Indian cricket. He's the guy who made Indian cricket grow up. If we go back to where he started, he takes over from MSD, who's more a sort of chilled out, laid back kind of leader. And then right from that first part, I remember that match in 2014 when they're chasing 350 on the last day at Adelaide and Coley's saying, well, why not get them? Let's go out and get them. He made one of his best hundreds, I think, that day and just fell short. Uh, And even down to the point of picking Karan Sharma, the leg spinner, in that match instead of Ashwin because he saw it as a more aggressive move to have a leggy in Australia. So there was, there was that boldness right from the start in the way Coley attacked Test cricket. Yeah, I, I think the one stat that Coley will feel proudest of, the numbers of the fast bowlers before Kohli, after Coley became captain. I mean, it was, it was a done deal whenever India were travelling abroad. You had a bouncy track, a green track, and you won the Test match. India had Srinath, who was a fine bowler. You had Zahir Khan, who was a fine bowler. They had decent bowlers around them. But you never had a try or a quartet that, uh, that that were coming hard at you. Suddenly, you saw, okay, Bumrah, Shami, Ishant, Umesh Adav, Siraj has come up. India can give as they get, but play aggressively too. And that, that I think, is, is Virat's real contribution. The personal example he set with his own fitness, uh, that everyone just just looked and said, hang on, we need, we need to uh, adopt. But the fact that India could play with pace, I think it comes down to the differing personalities of the two people you talked about. Uh, MS Dhoni was the master at playing with spin. He just understood the angles of how to play with spin. He was the master leader with spin bowling. Whereas Virat Kohli is deeply passionate about uh, about winning in uh, Test match cricket. And he realized that the only way to win in Test match cricket, you look at the history of the game, every time teams have been dominant, they've been dominant with fast bowling. So he realized it won't happen without fast bowling. Look at Ishan Sharma's second wind under Virat Kohli. So that is something you have to you have to give it to him. He realized it's got to be done with pace, and he was willing to play with pace. Uh, I think the one thing he would have liked to have was a seam bowling all-rounder that would have allowed him to play uh, uh, five bowlers and have enough batting. But that India only have one of that category, and he was he, he was injured, and I don't know how much more he's going to bowl. I loved that he was so committed to that plan of investing in the fast bowlers. One of the defining images, I think, of his career is him doffing his cap to Jasbit Boomer at the MCG in 2018. He was in awe of Boomer and what he'd achieved taking six wickets in that innings and this sense that whilst Coley was at the heart of the run-making operation, that 
the team success wasn't possible with that group of fast bowlers. Remember, you described it with me on Crick Buzz as something that you'd never experienced in India before, having full faith in a group of fast bowlers that was more than one or two. As you described before, it was this whole series of them. And you want to jump to the next, I suppose, um, the defining moment for me. It's the win at Lords this year, when it was two fast bowlers with the bat, Shami and Boomerah, and Coley oh, from, from the balcony, um, you know, steering the ship, waving away. I mean, you know, who's to know how important that was just making them believe that you stay out there and do what they needed to do then bringing the whole team to the long room uh, to cheer them in and then speaking to them via spider cam I suppose it was on top of them and just so insistent that he believed in his fast bowlers and you go ahead a couple of hours and they've pulled off an extraordinary fifth day win as they did at the Oval uh, later in the series and I mean these moments are, are iconic they're signature Indian test moments and all of them revolve around the fast bowlers I mean there, there are big moments with Ashwin too but away from home, so much of it is in this group of players he invested in and had full faith in it every time. And that whole body language, that whole symbolism, we'll do it in the long room. We'll go hard at Australia. Teams have come hard at India uh, verbally through body language in the past as well. It's not that India have been soft, but India have not been demonstrably hard. You wouldn't call uh, a Dravid or a Lakshman or a Ganguly or a Sevag or a Kumble soft. But India were not in your face before. And I think Virat Kohli showed that whether it's England, whether it's Australia, you come hard at people and they react differently. But the question was, did everyone buy into the idea of coming hard at the opposition and be willing to accept the arrows that would be that would be that would come your way if you lost? The barbs that would come your way if you lost. I don't think Virat Kohli cared for barbs. And I think in Jaspreet Bumrah, he found a kindred spirit. Jaspreet Bumrah is not someone who is uh, was going to be too much in your face, but that's starting to happen a little bit. But he was firm, he was aggressive. In Mohammad Siraj, he found that kind of player. He allowed Ishan Sharma to become another bowler. After Ishan went through a phase when they tried making him the enforcer and bowl shot and bounce people out, that, that was never going to be his game. But I think he started to get in the buy-in from everybody else. And that was pretty much Ravi's personality as well. Even though he batted and played cricket differently from the kind his personality was, if Virat Kohli wanted his team to be that, he wouldn't get any opposition from... Uh, uh, Ravi Shastri. I also think he had a good bowling coach who was, was tactically quite astute. Yeah, the support staff t- definitely don't often get the kind of recognition. So when we try to assess Coley after this captaincy career is done, is it about taking the good with the bad, you know, that, that he was so fired up and so passionate and at times that made him completely watchable and it made his team a thrill to watch. And at other times it did look silly, like when he's yelling in the stump mics in Cape Town the other week. You can't have one without the other, basically. And we liked the one, but we didn't want the other. And as you said, you can't have one without the other. And I, I was thinking, hang on, has nobody ever had a DRS decision going against them in the past? I mean, it, it, did, it did look out, but you accept what Ball Tracker is saying to you, don't you? I mean... If if it if it goes in your favor, you're going to take it and say that that's right. Uh, the other thing with Virat sometimes was that he didn't want to hear an opposition point of view, and he liked to play like his team was under siege, as if the world is against us and we will show you. And the moment he got into that, we will show. It's almost like Steve Waugh coming out of bat and saying, "Right, I'm going to make it one on one." Right? It's it's me versus you. We'll pick up a fight with the short leg guy, just not because he's a bad person but because he wants to get into that me versus you situation. Virat Kohli was almost that. I know the Aussies love to say there's an Aussie in Virat, but it was almost, right, let's get into an us and them situation. 
And that was what brought out the best in him. But that meant that sometimes, like, like dominating rulers, he didn't always want to hear an alternate point of view. So luckily for him, he had the players who, who, who bought into that, especially the fast bowlers. And it, it worked at times. He said it didn't work at others. He'd be mighty disappointed with not beating England in England in 2018, right? losing 4-1. But this South Africa defeat has, has to hurt has to hurt badly because India have never won in South Africa. Yeah, and I suppose he would think about oh, that 2021 win in England, like whipping them into a frenzy at the Oval. I mean, they are they're unforgettable moments with the crowd being so engaged, that adoration of Coley. And yeah, he, he would he would divide opinion, but I don't think many leaders can, can do what he was able to do uh, as far as galvanising people uh, around him and bringing people with him uh, away from home as well. I mean, I know we've talked before about India never playing an away game uh, these days, but that was underscored when underlined when, whenever Coley was, was leading that team. And I suppose there were a couple of low points and they involved New Zealand mostly losing over there at test level, uh, the World Test Championship final, the World Cup semi-final. You could say that in 2017 there was a low point against Australia. I don't think he handled uh, that series particularly maturely in alleging all sorts of things of the Australian team over there, which which didn't come off as being as classy as you might. But I suppose it reinforces Jeff's point before that, that in order to have um, Coley at his frenetic best, you needed to accept that some days it would go off the rails. Yes, and I think it would work even better when he was batting and leading from the front. I mean, as you know, it's it's very difficult to demand when you're not delivering yourself. So I think the fact that he wasn't scoring as many runs would have would have hurt him. I remember doing a piece once five years ago saying Virat Kohli's got a great chance of getting 100 international hundreds, even assuming a dip in the rate. And, and he's been stuck on 70, 70 ever since. There's one other factor. We're sitting here, three of us, I know we're in a minority. But all three of us love test cricket very, very deeply. But we're in a minority. We've got to understand we're in a minority. But Rahul Dravid had said to me many years ago that the Virat Kohli generation will be the last generation that will look upon test cricket a certain way. But the generation that follows Virat Kohli's generation will depend a great deal on how this generation looks at test cricket. And I think Virat Kohli told the world, it's not only cool to play test cricket, it's fabulous to play test cricket and that you must want to win at test cricket. My theory is that Virat has always sought a place in history for himself and nothing gives you a place in history more than winning Test Match Cricket. You might win a World Cup, yes, that is, the, that is one, but Virat Kohli loved Test Cricket. And because Virat Kohli loved Test Cricket, he was this media magnet. Everybody started to say, hang on, let's, this Test Cricket is pretty cool. And I think in India, even if the viewership may not have kept pace, the attention to Test Cricket has actually, has, has, is largely there even if not enough people are watching. And I think the world's got to thank Virat Kohli because in the world's biggest cricket market, where test cricket was ran the risk of becoming irrelevant, I think Virat Kohli propped up test match cricket. Do you think that he can move closer back towards being the player that he was now that captaincy's gone? Or, or will that take something away from him? Because he, he was always trying to get up for the fight, but maybe he exhausted himself getting up for the fight all the time. And maybe now he can just bat. Can a ruler with his crown and his jewels and his diamonds and his pomp and his court now get off the throne and sit amidst the courtiers? I know the word courtiers now got a derogatory meaning, but uh, in, in the sense that the king supports staff, in a sense, because we're cricket people, let's use the word support staff. Can the king get off the throne and sit amidst the others? I think that will be the key. And... I have a feeling it will because Virat Kohli is a different person, getting to be a different person. 
But Virat Kohli was the leader. It was always come, follow me. I'm the king, come follow me. That is what I would like to see. I'd like to see how Virat Kohli says, I'll just be a batsman. Tendulkar could do it, but Tendulkar was never a, 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 never a confrontational, in-your-face person. And he realized very quickly that leadership was coming to the way of his batting immortality. And he was willing to then tell the BCCI in his last four or five years, when he was offered the captaincy again, that MS Dhoni is ready to be captain, I don't want it again. I don't know if Virat Kohli will be able to just subjugate that role and say, I'll just, I'll just keep batting. But if he can, he'll make the job of next captain that one. In closing, Harsha, just thinking about what's next for, for Team India, this comes at a time when there seems to be a transition away from Ajinkya Rahane and Chiteshwa Pajara, uh, both having their, their steady, sustained decline. Rahane, of course, was such a wonderful deputy to him when Coley wasn't there for the majority of the Australian series last summer. There seem to be a number of obvious leaders in the team. K.L. Rahul was the stand-in captain when Coley's back went a couple of weeks ago. Where do you see that landing? Who do you think will be uh, the next leadership duo of Indian cricket. Uh, we know Rohit Sharma is doing the white ball, but when it comes to test cricket, uh, who's going to get that chance? Ajinkya Rahane is probably sitting at home as we speak saying, if only I've got a few more runs. He would have been the perfect captain for the next two years for, for India because he's an outstanding captain and he's a very respectful person. He wouldn't have come in, he wouldn't have given Virat Kohli the impression that he's now just a player. But that cannot happen now because he can't buy a run. The poor fellow, he's, he's, he's tried everything. He can't buy a run. I think you've got to go back to Rohit Sharma. The fears with Rohit Sharma are that that hamstring is going to come under a lot of scrutiny now. He's, whether he'll be able to play all the games is to be made. You know, when, when MS Dhoni became captain in 2007, the selection committee said, I think he needs to be given a little more time to become test match captain. And Anil Kumble became test match captain for a short period and did outstandingly. I won't be surprised if India says, okay, if KL Rahul is the person to go to, KL Rahul as vice-captain is very different from KL Rahul as captain. Rahul as vice-captain is a development role. As captain, is he ready? Do you want to go to maybe Rohit Sharma, maybe on Ashwin for a while as, as captain? I would go to Rohit Sharma with KL Rahul as vice-captain. So, what about I'm not Bumrah? surprised that just, as just getting there, uh, Bumrah has made no secret of the fact that he would like to be captain. Mm. And he's clothed it really well. He said, I don't think there's anybody who if offered would say no. But I think he, even within the franchise side, I think it's made pretty apparent that Bumrah has captaincy ambitions. But also Bumrah is very sharp. Bumrah is very mature. I don't know how he is with handling people because that's an essential part of, of leadership. But he's very shrewd. I won't be surprised if, if someone goes left field. The only issue with Bumrah is... With his workload and the strain on him, he will not be able to play everything. He's only played two test matches at home. I think the tendency would be to leave him fresh for away tours. So I don't know whether he'd be able to play long enough. So I think it seems to be getting set for KL Rahul. Though Gavaskar has thrown a little uh, spanner in the works by, in a way by saying Richard Pant. But uh, I, I think it'll be Roy Sharma for now and KL Rahul in the future if, if Rahul shows those skills. Harsha Bogle, uh, thank you for being uh, a great supporter of what we do. We miss you. We wish you were able to spend more time with us at the moment, but the world not really allowing for that. But we'll make up for lost time in the fullness of time. Uh, and as ever, thanks for being uh, uh, so forthright in sharing uh, your take on the world today on Virat Kohli uh, and for um, joining us again on The Final Word. Thank you. I, I suspect that Virat Kohli's decision might also play on Joe Root's mind. Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon.
This is the final word with Lemon, comma, Jeff and Collins, comma, Adam. Uh, thank you to Bogley, comma, Harsha for being part of the show. Joining us once again, uh, some interesting thoughts from someone who's watched well, not just Coley's captaincy career, but you know Coley since he was a schoolboy cricketer, um, coming up all the way through when he was the big talent, the heir apparent, uh, and now the uh, what do they call it when you give up the throne? Oh gosh, I don't know the Queen Mother. No, uh, the, um, <laughs> not the, that she uh, gave up the throne. Not the you the know, Queen Mother of Indian cricket, Marat Coley. Abdication. Abdi- abdication. Yes, the Queen Mother. He's the Edward the Eighth of, uh, yes. of uh, although without the Nazi links and so on. Yeah, yeah. Who was not, the Edward the Eighth? Wasn't it? Uh, I think it was. Probably, but yeah. So the one who who abdicated to marry Wallace Simpson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Um, I always get the numbers mixed up. Isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, t- there's there's about three names and about four hundred numbers. So how could you remember which Charles got his head cut off? I don't know. Bad but, King Charles. Yeah, Charles II, was it? Naughty King no, Charles. No, first one. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. I don't know. All, I, all I know is that it's mentioned in the BFG by Roald Dahl. They go, they, they bring the BFG for, a, for a, a knife to eat with, his meal with. They bring the sword that was used to <laughs> chop off Charles's head, but I can't remember which Charles. Um, the Queen says, make sure to wipe the dried blood off the blade. Um, yeah. That, that's been the show. Yeah, it has. Just to fold in on that, I, I think that like it's great getting someone like Harsha to talk about Coley because he's not a he's not a sycophant. Mm. Um, Harsha just calls it as he sees it, and that's why he's such a wonderful narrator on the game. And some, someone like Coley, I mean. I suppose because of his cultish personality, you can get kind of addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you and I have, have uh, had our moments of being in, enthralled with Coley uh, and moments for me where I've also felt like, especially in 2017, like, who is this entitled brat um, mm-hmm. when Australia were there and, and sort of the ridiculous allegations he was making at the time. So I've gone both ways. I've had both bits of it. But yeah. Harsha, I think, can strip out all that emotion and be quite objective because he understands the history of Indian cricket perhaps better than, well, certainly better than anyone I know. Uh, he knows the, the ups and downs and 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 the storylines and, and the people that come before and he can put Coley in context and and offer that kind of perspective now uh, when at the moment I suppose there's a rush to find a legacy and, and he can step mm. back a little bit and, and give a bit more so I thought it was great to have him with us and yeah always a always a friend of the show legacies are easier to define in retrospect but people always like to do them at the time uh, so final word we'll be back we'll be back next week we may not be here on the weekend. Uh, I'm taking a week off. You're travelling back to England. Um, they very inconveniently moved the start of the women's ashes to be two days after the end of the men's, uh, which has buggered us up for the coverage of at least the start of that. But I will be at the test match in Canberra. Um, and I'll I be, feel like I'll it's realistic to say it's realistic to say we will do a fair bit around the women's test. It's uh, and but yeah, just due to the way this is sequencing, we're not going to do much the next few days. Um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll need that break. I'll need to recharge. Jeff's going to recharge properly. I'm going to recharge. You know, with Winnie running around like a maniac. Yeah. But yeah, so no weekend show. Back in about a week, and then we'll see where we're at with the women's test, and hopefully we'll be in a position to have at least have a crack at a daily show, or if not that, maybe we'll do a couple between mm. times. I don't mm. know. I don't know how much I'll get to watch in the middle of the night as well. Yes, we'll see what you, what you're doing between the hours about four a.m. and, and eight a.m. Yeah. Um, in any case, this has been the final word cricket podcast. Thank you for listening. It's been nice to meet so many listeners to the show over the last few weeks. Uh, we love the fact that you're out there. 
and we will be back with you very soon. That we will. And sorry we didn't get to meet more of you around the country this year, for me especially, with the COVID situation. But we'll make amends next year uh, and we'll definitely have that Melbourne live show or maybe later this year and Sydney and all the other things that we wanted to do but couldn't. Let's hope for a, a better year on that front. Uh, we're going to keep making the show regardless. And thanks for supporting us along the way. As we've all been saying since 2019, everything will be better next year. Thanks for listening to the Final Word Cricket Podcast. All of Adam and Jeff's previous episodes are available at finalwordcricket.com, including Storytime 20. That's 40 story times ago. 40. Almost a year's worth of nerd pledge. Why Storytime 20? Because it features comedian Will Anderson. It's a great chat. I think you're going to love it. Finalwordcricket.com for all things Final Word. And thanks once again to our friends at Brick Lane Brewing. Shop online at bricklanebrewing.com. Thanks for listening. More from Adam and Jeff real soon.